good morning, everybody. I appreciate just the opportunity to share with you today, and uh, trust you've had a great equip, however it's worked out for you in your region, but I trust that you've connected with God, you're encouraged, you're challenged, strengthened, and excited about the future God has for us. I have the privilege just of sharing this morning with you, and I want to talk about the power of partnership. I think in light of what I've shared, I'm not sure what other guys have been preaching, but the two other uh, sessions that I did First one, just about understanding the power of purpose, I think, and what God's been doing in this time. And then also the reshaping of the church or try, trying to shape the future of the church. I think in light of those two, to really be worked out, I think we've got to come back to true understanding of partnership, what God intended and why we need partnership. And so I want to talk around that and I trust it be helpful for us to understand locally and translocally what we're a part of and how we can do better together and the bigness of what God has called us to. So if you've got a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 16. And I'm just going to read a few verses, key verses, uh, pretty f- profound verses, I think, and certainly go-to scriptures when it comes to talking about the church. And in Matthew chapter 16, you know the context, Jesus asks his disciples, what do people say? In, in verse 13, he say, asks them, what do people say about me? What are they saying about me? And uh, And... They kind of, these disciples responded and said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Elisha or one of the prophets. In other words, you're a good guy doing some great things. And again, I've often said if I was Jesus, I would have stopped that conversation. I would have gone to those people and demonstrated by calling down fire and lightning and maybe wiping a few of them out to prove that actually I'm a lot more than a good guy doing some good things. But it seems like Jesus wasn't that concerned about what they were saying because he moved the conversation from what are they saying to what about you, what about you, my disciples. And why? I wonder why he did that. I think it's because he realized and he knew something that if his disciples see him for who he really is, well, then eventually the world will see. It's almost like what we believe about Jesus determines what the world sees or how the world sees Jesus. And that's why it's so essential. So he asked his disciples, what did they say about me? The response was, you're a good guy doing some good things. And then he said, well, what about you? Uh, my followers, my disciples, those of you watching this this morning, what about you? Who do you say that he is? And Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. I love that. It's just like this revelation. He, he pipes up with true, authentic revelation. And Jesus said, and blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because that didn't come to you from a man. Man did not reveal to you that, but my Father in heaven gave you that revelation. And, and then he begins for the first time in history. Well, he then says, well, I can tell you, you are Peter, which is awesome. And uh, it's almost like Peter then found out who he, who he was when he, when he realized who Jesus is. It's that whole crisis we're facing right now with, with uh, identity. And a lot of people don't know who they are and what they are. It's even in the church, but I'm still convinced if you don't know who Jesus is, you'll never know who you are. And when he was able to say, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, Jesus said, and I call you Peter. Change your name, give you your identity. And then he said, and on this rock, I'll build my church. And it's not based on, I'm building my church on you, Peter. He's saying, I'm building my church on your revelation of me. But just in verse 18, Jesus said, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, rock i will build my church and the gates of hades will not overcome it now fortunately 
Matthew doesn't stop in Matthew 16. Flick over quickly to Matthew 28 and the last few verses of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 28 verse 18. So then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of age. Do you catch that? So in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. And in Matthew 28, his last words to his disciples, which we've discussed in the pre previous uh, sessions, he gives them the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. So he's the builder of his church and he's given us the mandate to go and make disciples. But if we're honest at times, we've almost said, no, no, we want to build the church. We'll do the church building thing. And you, Jesus, you take care of discipling the nations. We've got the call back to front. He's the builder of his church. He doesn't do it apart from us. He does it with us. But he is building his church and he's given us this mission and mandate to go and make disciples. And, and both are needed. Uh, so a troubling statistic I gave recently in the last preach, uh, just around the Barna report for churchgoers, 51% of uh, churchgoers uh, who, who in 2018 said they've never heard about the Great Commission. Friends, it's a tragic response to that. I'm hoping we understand. Jesus is the master builder. He's the builder of his church. We are people to go and live out his mission. And so that's why we keep saying we've got to stick to God's plan if we're going to walk in God's purposes. And for all of this to happen, for us to be more effective in Him building His church and us being part of that, as well as us living out this mandate of the Great Commission, we need to come back to authentic, true, biblical understanding of what it means to be partnering with each other, partnering with God. And, and listen, I'm certainly no expert in this. I believe that, I know. But I do know that it's been misrepresented in North America when it comes to partnership. That word's been used for anything and everything. And I, I feel like in our season that we've gone through, we need to highlight the priority and the power of partnership and come back to the intention of God as we go forward into the church and be the people He's called us to be. We're not called to do this alone. It's not just me and Jesus, which would be, I think, enough, but it's clearly the way God said, no, no, it's you, Jesus, but together to do the thing he's called us to do. And so we've got to stick to that and keep on working through that. Partnership is essential in seeing these things and truths become a reality. And the need to prioritize for all of us as we continue to see his purpose fulfilled. Partnership has the ability to accomplish more together than apart. And that's what's essential. We want to be more effective. That means we're better together. It's not a cliche. It's not just a wording. I know there's some stuff we've got to work out when we do things together, but it's God's way. It recognizes that a team is stronger than a lone individual or a lone church trying to do it all by themselves. John Maxwell says, One is, a small, one is so small a number to achieve significance. And so God's way is let's do it together. Even Mother Teresa, if I can quote her, said, You can do what I cannot do, and I can do what you cannot do. But together we can do great things. It's often been said, if you want to go fast, well then go alone. But if we want to go far, then we need to go together. And we're talking about building for the future and being a church for the future. Well, then we're called to do this thing together. We need each other. You need someone and someone needs you. And 
If I look at Scripture, I think there are three key partnerships. And the first one is the most important. It makes sense. If we get that understanding, then we see the need for these other partnerships. But the three key partnerships, number one, obviously, is our partnership with God. And I think we, we need to understand. It's almost like a three-legged stool. All three are needed. You take one of them and the, the stool falls. The, the chair doesn't stand strong anymore. So the first leg, the most important leg, is this God partnership. We're in partnership with God. He put us at the very beginning of time. Certainly the book of Genesis tells us that God created us and created us to have intimacy with Him, but also to work with Him and work for Him and to be fruitful and to multiply. And He's called us to partner with Him. This whole thing centers around Him. If we lose that, we don't need each other. If we lose that, it makes no sense to understand the rest of partnership. But we have to understand we are in partnership with God. This will always be bigger than us. It's going to always be beyond us, but it's the way God intended, and it's the need. And I think when we lose the divine element of what we're a part of, well, then man's needs become more important than the glory of God, and that's a dangerous thing. I think also our strategy becomes the result of human observation rather than divine revelation. What I mean by that is we just get busy with the needs of people rather than the strategy of heaven and what it is God's called us to. That's what happens when we forget, actually, first and foremost, we're in partnership with God. The unfortunate thing that also happens is we begin to magnify the minister rather than the master. We begin elevating gifts and ministries at the expense of the giver of the gifts. And that's why we've got to keep coming back to realize we're in partnership first and foremost with God. It matters more than anything that we're in, in, in partnership with Him. The other tragedy that when we lose the divine nature of what we're doing is our mission has no roots, which means it has no long-lasting fruit. And we've been called to be fruitful and fruit that lasts because it's linked to the divine nature. It's about Him. It's for Him. Him in us. Us with Him. And so on. And so someone said, if God is your partner, you better have large plans. And so I, I do want to say it's going to be bigger. Stay big. Keep living in the big. You know, you cannot be partnering with God if you're self-centered. And we actually are here existing for the benefit of others. When you work with God, He uses us to impact others. And so you can't be self-centered if you're partnering with God. You, you cannot be self-sufficient if you're partnering with God. And you cannot be self-conscious if you're partnering with God because He will ask of us and require of us things that make no sense, but we do it because we're in partnership with Him. I keep saying that our, His 99% and our 1% put together makes up His 100%. And He wants our 1%, and that's the partnering we need. So your 1%, whatever you're involved in, even if you feel insignificant, it's okay. God wants it. It matters. He gives us the worth as we bring who we are, what we are, our churches, our ministries, our finances, our gifting, everything we are, we bring it for Him. He gives it significance. And we see that right through the Scripture. All right, so first and most important partnership is our partnership with God. There's a second kind of leg of this of the stool it is our church partnership. And that is everybody in your local church working together understanding that we're you know the early church they were a family in relationship they were friends in fellowship and they were also followers of christ in partnership i love that picture they're not just a family connecting and we're in this partnership together and everyone's needed and so can i just challenge you if you stop going to church or i know that things have been difficult and you can't all gather i get all that but your congregation, your people, where God's put you, they need you, friend. You've got to be there. And it's not even just, I'm wanted. You need it. God puts people together. We're in partnership, and everyone has to play their role. 
And it's the need not just to attend, to be an active participator, being involved, carrying your load, your responsibility, as together getting the job done. Not for the leaders, not for the pastors, not even for your region, for the king in partnership with him and in this partnership with each other. And then our third kind of leg is the gospel partnership. And that's what I want to talk around. They're all three linked together. But I want to highlight some of that, our gospel partnership. You know, we are in partnership together. I know that the church globally is one church. I get all that. But God has put us in partnership with each other, genuine partnership with NCMI, New Covenant Ministries International. And, and again, it's, it's, a, it's a gospel partnership. It's not about a branding. or a, it's, We're stronger together. We're called to do this thing together. We take in all that we are, and we, we're working together to get this gospel out there and to be more effective together. And so we are partners in the biggest rescue mission on the planet, getting our gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. We're called to do this together. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you, please, and please read this. I know you probably could quote the scripture, but read it with me. Philippians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to read just the 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1. And then just, again, let God speak to you in light of understanding. Maybe some of us need a fresh understanding, a new understanding, or maybe a real understanding. Uh, Not just the upbringing. I'm not here to talk about where you've come from. I'm not here to kind of despise or get us to despise where you've come from. But I really ask us to let God teach us. And one of the things I felt God challenged me over this time was to read through um, the book of Philippians. And I did. And then I got and was going to move on to my next reading. And I felt God said, read again and read again. I ended up reading a whole lot of times. And I moved from, hey, what do I need to see rather than, God, what do you want to show me? And I want to ask you, please, would you do this in light of the season we're in and where we're going? Ask, read through those four chapters, but not glimpse of them. Read through, study, ask God, stop, pause, ask God, what do you want to show me rather than what do I need to see? And God will show you some fresh things or new things or reminder. And I've seen some things for me and for us Certainly as the leader of NCMI, the privilege of understanding better what it means to be in true partnership with one another. So Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to read out of the Amplified Bible because I just, again, feel like it, it really explains a whole lot more than just a few verses. So whatever version you're reading, read with me, please. If, if Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, it says this, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One. To all the saints, speaking of all God's people, in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace. And there it goes on, speaks about inner calm and spiritual well-being. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, I thank my God in every remembrance of you, always offering every prayer of mine with joy. And with specific requests for all of you. Thanking God for your participation and partnership. Both your comforting fellowship and gracious contributions in advancing the gospel, the good news, regarding salvation from the first day you heard it until now. I'm convinced and confident of this very thing that he who has began a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, the time of his return. Verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you, because you have 
me in your heart as I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, the good news regarding salvation, all of you share in his matchless grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus, whose great love fills me. And this I pray, that your love may abound more and more, displaying itself in greater depth, in real knowledge and in practical insight, so that you may learn to recognize and treasure what is excellent, identifying the best and distinguishing moral differences, and that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, actually living lives that lead others away from sin, filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, so that His glory may be both revealed and recognized. So, so what a great text. What a great truth. Paul, we know, is in prison. He's writing to this church, and it's often referred to as this letter of joy. But more than letter of joy, it's this outworking of true partnership and understanding and owning it together and being together. And quite honestly, friends, I think at times we kind of see translocal ministry and partnership as something we get in from time to time and something we attend as an equip or a meeting. But you see, this is a day-to-day. This is an investment. This is being a part of together. When he says that God who began a good work in you, it's not that God's work in you will be complete. It's that we are in this together, working together. I've heard many people preach that so out of context. What he's saying is you began with me, you're still with me, and you still focus. And God who started things together with us is going to continue working them out. It's not an add-on is the point I'm trying to make. Too often we see apostolic ministry or translocal ministry or partnership as a tag on to the local it's hand in hand working together in and it's intentional it's spirit driven spirit led it's done daily and it's done in the big rocks that we put in place and i think for too long we've kind of put things in place and hope people with intentionality get to stuff rather understand it's an everyday thing it's practical it's outworking it's spiritual but it's led by the Spirit, Spirit-driven. So you don't just walk away from each other if we're in genuine partnership where the Spirit has put us together. So why is it that Paul is such thanksgiving? And every time he thought of the Philippians, well, he gives the answer. He thanks God for them, and he's always with joy praying for them because of their fellowship, their partnership in the gospel. The Greek word is kononia, which literally means participation. And a gospel partnership, I believe, is an arrangement where parties the tri- with the triune God and partakers of His grace joyfully work together to extend His kingdom through advancing of the gospel which results in the spread of God's glory and the eternal enjoyment of it by those who, cry- who trust Christ for salvation. So it's a whole lot more than you do your thing, we'll do our thing, and we'll see it together in heaven. It's working together for the advancing of the gospel, for the glory of God. It's this divine working in partnership with Him and us together, and it's this marvelous picture of genuine people doing what they're called to do together for the glory of God. And so Paul thanks these guys and reaches out and says, I, I thank God for you and I'm in joy. I think of you with great joy because of your participation. Not that you're part of my ministry or linked to my ministry, that you are participating with me in getting this gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. So I want to just kind of highlight a few things around this gospel partnering. What does gospel partnering involve? Well, number one, it involves recognition. 
Here Paul talks partnership and describes both church leaders and churches working together. Somehow we think it's just leaders of churches working with these guys. No, no, it's, he's talking to church leaders and he's talking to the church and he's talking to both. And, and it, it just, it's very organic, but it's more than just leaders talking to team guys and via. It's this interconnection with everyone. It's churches working together. It's church leaders working with church leaders. It's, it's all described here. In uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 23, Paul says, As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. We just read in Philippians 1, 3 to 5, I thank God in all of in remembrance of you because of your partnership in the gospel. Partnership happened between individuals and churches and churches and churches. And, and I think in Canada, you guys have to get a little more kind of working together, not just waiting for teams to put things together. And NCMI did work together, churches with churches. And we've got to get better at this, friends, if we're going to seriously take the regions that God's called us to, walk in this great future He has for us, be effective in multiplying and uh, walking in the Great Commission and helping Him build His church the way He intended us. So they helped each other out in terms of doctrine and practice. We see in Acts chapter 8, verse 14 to 25, and Galatians chapter 3. They relocated at times leaders to strengthen other situations. If you read Acts 11 verse 19 to 26. And I'm asking you please go read these scriptures because they'll help us understand true partnership better. In Acts chapter 12 verse 25. Acts chapter 16 verse 1 to 3. They also sent individuals and teams on short-term visits to strengthen churches and people. Acts chapter 11 verse 27. And Acts chapter 19 Verse 21 to 22, 1 Corinthians 4, 15 to 17, Philippians 2, 19 to 29, and 2 Timothy 1, verse 18. Just to name a few scriptures, go see how the involvement in individuals and teams have been sent to help and strengthen people as they go. We need that, I'm sure, now more than ever. They send money to help each other, to bless the wider uh, society, Acts 11, 28 to 30. They helped advance the gospel together and plant churches. We've got to see more of that in Canada and from Canada. And it's going to be us understanding the need and working together in partnership with God and in partnership with uh, people in our local church and then with this gospel partnership that we have together. Let's talk about the concept of fellowship or koinonia because that word is so, I think, misused today in North America. Too often people will call having a potluck having koinonia or fellowship. I want to just suggest there's nothing in Scripture that indicates that koinonia fellowship is eating a meal together. Now, I'm all for eating, and I'm all for us having a meal together, but that's not koinonia according to what Paul was writing and highlighting. It's a way more. It's way more than just eating and having a meal together. Notice what Paul says about fellowship or partnership or koinonia truly is. It is in the gospel. Fellowship is not food. It's not coffee, although you know I love coffee. It's not having a barbecue in front of your church building. Fellowship is our work in the gospel together, and that is local church and translocally. It's also what you're doing in your local churches together. Uh, fellowship is working together in the gospel. Fellowship is serving together in the gospel. Fellowship is teaching together in the gospel. We do not have fellowship if we're not working together in the gospel. And so being partners in the gospel together, well, that is what fellowship, that's koinonia. 
Koinonia is a prominent concept right throughout the book of Philippians. And Philippians 1.5, we read it because of your partnership in the gospel. Verse 7, for you are partakers with me of grace. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul writes on, he says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have comfort from His love and any fellowship, participation with the Spirit. There's another uh, kind of revealing of partnership, fellowship, koinonia, that he says in chapter 2. Chapter 3, verse 10, Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and, and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering, becoming like Him in death. Fellowship of sharing in His suffering. There, participating with Him. Philippians 4.14, he says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. There it is again. Sharing in my troubles. It's not just spiritual. It's now working together in the real day-to-day -day stuff. Um, Philippians 4.15, Paul says, Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. And there again, shared, fellowship, koinonia, understanding, partnership. Koinonia highlights the relational reality of what it means for believers to be in Christ Jesus. Verse 1, Paul and he writes again in Philippians 1, we read it. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, as Philippa, together with the overseers and pointedly. What it means for believers to be in Christ Jesus is a closely knit fellowship of believers. Let me state it like this, and I know I get in trouble saying it. It amazes me how we've been taught as the church to get people to belong, and we want them to belong. And when they belong, they'll begin to believe, and when they believe, then they'll begin to behave. I understand the notion, I'm not saying let's make it hard, but nobody can ever belong until they're in Christ Jesus. We're not a true family if they haven't come to the Father through Christ the Son. And so somewhere we've got to come back to getting it back to believing before we can belong. And and I'm not saying make it hard, but I'm saying we're doing all these things to keep people connected when they will never belong until they come to the realization they've got to be in Christ to have partnership with us. And the way to do that is to obviously come to the revelation, Jesus is Lord and Savior, confess your sins and believe. Then you begin to belong. And so I'm not saying, again, not trying to fight that thing except to say we've learned over this season how many people have left the church because we're not gathering or not doing what they want them to. Why is that? Because they never really belong. Maybe it's because they never came through in Christ. But when we come to the in Christ thing, I tell you, friends, that's when we're in fellowship of believers, local churches and translocally. It describes the relationship that the Philippian congregation has with Paul. But Kononia also, or fellowship also applies to the relationship that, that we have with one another within the church. Here is the koinonia reality. God calls us to be spiritual co-participants with one another in Christ. God weaves our lives together in Christ, around Christ, and for Christ. Anyone who thinks that someone can be deeply rooted in Christ without being deeply rooted in Christ's people, is thinking in a manner, with all due respect, worthy of la-la land. In other words, you can't be connected to Christ and not interweaving and connected to His people. He's put us all together. Koinonia in the church is not an optional or an add-on 
to Kononia in Christ, Kononia in the gospel. It's all linked together in Christ, in the church, in with each other, and in the gospel. I hope that makes sense. All this hangs together as one thing, and we've got to stop separating and see it all together. So number one, we have talked about just some of the reality of what that looks like, what fellowship is, and the recognition of it. Secondly, what I want to do is just highlight again about partnership is the revelation. Here's the thing, guys. We can be friends and disagree on everything. But we, to be partners, we have to have unity. There's a big difference between friends and partners. And again, I'm not saying that everyone has to be friends, but I am saying we've got to come back to everyone being partners. I have friends that are not in partnership with us. We totally disagree on all things. And they're friends, but they're not partners in the gospel. And somehow we've got to come back to this realization. We've got to believe similar things to work together in one. Amos 3.3 says, do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so. Um, I think we've got to fight for unity. I've said that. But we've also got to fight for diversity. We've got to fight for mission. We've got to fight for each other. And that's not just friends together. That's partners together. And I just I don't know how we can walk together if we don't agree on things. It's so difficult in local churches when everyone's fighting each other and all got opinion. I'm not saying you shouldn't have an opinion. We shouldn't be diverse and even have different understandings and beliefs. But we're working together for a common cause. That's what we have to come back to in true revelation and so Ephesians 4 speaks of unity in theology and heart, but diversity in gift and grace. Uh, it was he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Those, those gifts are different. They come with different expression and different gifts and different graces. But they are unified in theology and heart. And I, I think to work together, we've got to come together and have the same similar revelation and believe together. We've got to contend for our values. Values, they're not laws. The moment a value becomes a law, it begins to destroy and kill people. And it's amazing how we can take kingdom truth and make it a law rather than value it as a value. It's not a law, it's a value. Like husbands and wives are in this thing together. God's put us together. Nations are our inheritance. Um, whatever else we believe, they shouldn't be laws. They should be values that we contend for. But actually, we've got to have similar values if we're going to partner in reality, working together. If we lose the heart of what we do, we lose the, everything we're on. And so it's not just about principles, about the heart behind these values and truths. We've got to work through this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Do you see the picture of unity, working together, diverse absolutely, but working together, a similar revelation, working for the same purpose, the same. Philippians chapter 2, Paul goes on and he says this in verse 1. Read it please with me. He says, If you have an encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship with His Spirit, any, uh, any tenderness and compassion. compassion. Verse 2, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, uh, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Again, friends, oneness. There's a oneness. There's a diverseness, diversity to what we do, but there's a oneness. And if we don't have that, honestly, true koinonia partnership in the church, out of the church, with us, 
doesn't work, can't work. And it means we've got to come back to the purpose of the plan. Paul writes to these guys and says, hey, let's get this stuff right. Come with this encouragement. Make yourself nothing. And he goes on and talks about how Jesus, this great picture of emptied himself of all this power, submitted and became nothing but in obedience and God exalted him and so on. And so this is, it's this picture of being more like Christ. When we're Christ-focused, being more like Jesus, when we have this heart to actually work together, not for our thing, but for the king and his kingdom, man, can you imagine what can happen when we unite around those things? In verse 19 of Philippians chapter 2, and I'm jumping around, but I'm trying to just highlight the point of revelation and need to work together. Paul writes and he says, it's on the back of speaking about Jesus as the great example of pattern of humility. In verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him. Look at this. No one like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. He's not about himself. He's not trying to live out his dream and get people to buy into it. He takes a genuine interest in them. That's what we're talking about when it comes to authentic, true partnership. He says in verse 21, For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. So it's again, friends, if we truly are going to be able to be, take a genuine interest in others, it means we are looking out for the interests of Christ Jesus. And everyone seems to be about themselves, what Paul's saying, except Timothy. And then he goes, verse 22, But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Can I just pause there and say, so often this text taken out of context, and we all use this to say, you're my son and you serve me. He didn't say, Timothy, serve me. He said, Timothy, as a son in the faith, served with me in the work of the gospel. It's actually father-son relationship in the scripture is working together in the gospel. Please hear that, friends, because too many of us want to get people to serve us. It's not about us. It's about us working together for him and in the gospel. Verse 23 says, I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So I'm not just going to send Timothy. I want to be there too. It's this great picture of involvement, being together and partnership. And then he says in verse 25, But I think it's also necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Look at the language he uses about Epaphroditus. He says, My brother. So that's again speaking of relationship. Then he says, My fellow worker that speaks about us owning responsibility together not just my relationship my brother but my fellow worker and then he goes on and he says this as also my fellow soldier speaking of recognition friends i love that picture i want to send epaphroditus back to you you sent him to me he's been such a help he's helped me out he's been the messenger that came and he and he's helped me he got sick but at the end of the day i want to send him back and then he says, he's my brother, he's my work, fellow worker, and he's a fellow soldier. What great pictures of partnership. Brother, relationship, in this together, working together, fellow worker, but also fellow soldier. We're in a battle, and I talked about that in the first session. We're in a battle together. And you know, bored soldiers are dangerous. We've been made for mission. We end up hurting each other. We're soldiers, we're brothers, we're sisters, and we're also co-workers together. So here, let me just highlight while I can talking about this, three attitudes that mark servants who are truly focused on Jesus, like Timothy, 
and certainly like Epaphroditus. Well, I think they are firstly willing to be sent anyway. Think about that. Are you and I willing to be sent anyway? I mean, I'm privileged to lead NCMI, this team, this global team, and, and the challenge I have for us and for the guys, and even as the leader, is am I still willing to go anywhere? Or have I become choosing like, I don't like that place. Uh, we need to be willing to be sent anywhere if it be God's desire. Secondly, we're willing to serve anyone. Now, that's a big deal, friends. And I, I want to ask you to be honest this, mo- this morning with yourself. Are you willing to serve anyone God's called you to our are you handpicking, choosing who you like? It does show us where our true focus is. Thirdly, we're willing to sacrifice anything. Has there come a moment, maybe even recently, we said that's just too much. I'm not willing. I'm gonna. Well, then we realize we're not focusing on Christ. And I know this is a huge challenge for all of us. I'm not standing up here telling you that I'm doing this all, but I think it's a it's a great measuring stick for us to understand: Are we truly focused on Him? Are we willing to be sent anywhere? Are we willing to serve anyone? And we should all answer that question. Are we willing to sacrifice anything? Is there every, are you willing to take all you have and throw it in for the king and for the kingdom and for the gospel? That's where we've got to live. I think there are three ways we can tell if you're putting others ahead of yourself. Firstly, you care. You care. You will have a heartfelt love. I'm watching the church care less and less with all that's going on and that's a concern. I think we've got to come back to actually genuine interest and putting others ahead of ourselves. We've got to care. We've got to feel. We've got to really care, have a heartfelt love. we also got to be concerned. Show a genuine concern, not whatever. we all got our own issues. Genuine concern. We want to do stuff. If people are struggling, we want to help them. I, I've got guys who've struggled financially, and I can't just say I'm praying for you. We've literally had to say, well, let me take some of my money and help them out. Why? Because there's a genuine concern. If I was in that boat, I'd need someone to help me out. It's, it's owning things rather than hearing about it and praying about it. Thirdly, it's cooperation. You work well together. So you want to know truly whether you are taking putting others ahead of yourself you can work with anyone i I realize i'm talking to people who are very different i realize that what we're part of it is so diverse we've got all these cultures all these age all these groups man it's difficult i want to tell you it's difficult to lead the team i'm leading with the diversity but I, i do believe we can work with anyone and everyone when there's cooperation when we understand we're doing this for him we're taking an interest in others and therefore, I'm willing to work it out. Can I just challenge you? Work with everyone God's called you to work with, even in your region, even other leaders, other pastors. Let's cooperate. And certainly in our togetherness, don't have your favorites. Work and cooperate together. Let's get better at this going forward. It's a great sign. Psalm 133, verse 1 to 3. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil being poured on the head of running down on the, beard, on the beard, speaking of maturity, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robe, speaking of authority. It is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, the unshakable mountain. For there the Lord bestows or commands his blessing, even life forevermore. So again, friends, we need to understand the, the need for revelation working together. Third thing I want to highlight, we're nearly done, just around partnership, is relationship. It does require, and it is about relationship. All right, so we talked about some of the realities of partnership. We talked a little bit about the understanding of having a similar revelation. Don't have to all believe the same things, but we have to be in agreement as we walk into the things God has for us to be genuine partners in the gospel. Thirdly, we need relationship. The gospel is and must be the center of our relationships with each other. 
Otherwise, we simply have a facade of people, I think, pretending to care about each other, but not genuinely bound together. The Bible is a book of partnership from Genesis right through to Revelation. It's not a New Testament or New Covenant uh, concept. It's from Genesis, the beginning, a relational book, a book about relationship. And uh, one of the great unique attributes of our Christian faith is that it emphasizes relationship. You know, while most world religions are ritual-based, we are relationally-based because God made us as relational beings. And so our whole belief system is around a king and his kingdom. You know that, and Jesus came for relationship, and Jesus came to restore right relationship back to God. It's all relational for us. And that's why it's so essential, even in partnership, to understand that. Christianity is relationally based. And every picture of the church in the Bible is relational picture. The biblical emphasis on priority of relationship is why the koinonia, or together, is so necessary. It's one of the defining words of the book of Acts. And for 40-something years, we as a team, can I just say that our relationships and partnerships have been the very heart and soul of NCMI. Uh, to be honest, for decades, we have sought to build partnerships with all people, all ages, all cultures and, and nations and so on, and all churches. And whatever success we are, have ever had in our 40-something years, uh, we have experienced for the king and his kingdom has been around this primary this this. Uh, primary in around the world is primary around these strategic partnerships that God has sovereignly given us. I really want to acknowledge that what we've walked in is because of God and His goodness. But these key partnerships sovereignly has given us all across the world. That's where our success has come from, and I want to tell you that's where your success is at. If we understand the need and desire for partnership, I want to say this: that if a ministry or mission relationship is primarily built around projects rather than partnership, it ultimately will fail. Kingdom projects must flow out of kingdom partnerships, not vice versa. And the partnership, can I say it like this? The partnership is the root. The project is the fruit. It's the byproduct of one another, of each other. You know, it's sad how often projects overshadow relationships and partnerships. And Soon they begin to motivate, drive, and control the partnership. And uh, rather than partnerships controlling the project, then the partners are only using each other to accomplish their own agenda. And when kingdom relationships degenerate to this low level, God is not glorified in those things. And so I want to come back to say partnership is essential and the overflow is the projects. Of course we work together. Of course it's in the gospel. But don't make that the project's the focus because then we diminish and use. And we've seen it, friends. You've seen it. I'm sure maybe you've experienced it yourself, which is tragic. How when it's project focus, we need each other. And when it's not, we just disregard and want nothing to do with it. Friends, that doesn't reflect anything of the kingdom and certainly doesn't bring glory to God. In actual fact, Jesus made it very clear. Our love for one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples. By your love for one another. Not just your love for me. Not just the stuff you do together but your love for each other. And somehow we've embraced this, this worldly belief that it, when we finish with each other, we use each other, we abuse each other, we, and then we get rid of each other. There's no kingdom in that. It's our relationships that matter more. And we're working together. There's purpose to our relationship, but make partnership, koinonia, fellowship, genuinely that be the focus. And out of that, let the fruit flow.
Um, it, it shows that we value the project more than partnership, which I think is a danger. And in God's eyes, no project is more valuable than I believe, than our, than our partnership. So if you want to do ministry that will truly glorify God and edify others, we've got to be first Christ-centered and on people and partnership, not just programs and projects. My dad used to teach us about covenantal relationships. We need to come back to that, friends. We need to be committed, mutually committed to one another. We need to be mutually submitted. We need to be serving each other, and we need to be preserving our relationships, working. When things are messed up, let's fix it. Not just walk away from it, don't need each other. We need each other. God's put us together. So be committed mutually. Be submitted. Be serving together and preserve your relationship. Don't wait for others to fix it. Fix it. Let's deal with it. Let's, let's di- agree to disagree on a lot, but let's work together. In your local church, as a local church, and in our togetherness globally, let's fix things that need to be fixed. Number four, quickly, is responsibility. We talked relationship now. We quickly talk responsibility as I try and bring us to a close. Partnership involves responsibility. True partnership is taking ownership together. Paul says, I thank God for your participation in the gospel. Not just your praying for me while I do it. It's we do it together. We all have a role to play in. We need to take ownership of our mission together if we're in genuine partnership. In your local church as individuals, in your regions with other local churches, but in our gospel partnership. Take ownership of our mission. It's global. We do this together. Our mandate to make disciples. We need each other. You cannot do this alone. Not one church can do this. God makes sure that we do it together. Take ownership of ministry and our ministries together. We're stronger together. We're taking all that we have, our resources, our people, throwing it all together. Let's own the mission and the message. And Romans 15, verse 20 and 21, Paul says, It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that I will not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Let that be your heart, that, that we all want to go and proclaim the gospel where it's not being proclaimed. And we, Even if you're not able to get there, and back what God's doing. Own that with us as we go global and can keep taking this gospel to the nations, the unreached regions, and those who've rejected the gospel. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul, verse 13, he says, We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. He says, We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we'd not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel. And neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting and work done by others. This is Paul's heart. And it's again, I'm talking about owning, owning the mission together. He says, our hope, verse 15, is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand. Why? Verse 16, so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. So Paul's saying, our hope, our desire is that it's not just to kind of be where we are at already. As your area of activity grows and expands, we then grow with that and we get to preach the gospel beyond. We want to own this. There's a responsibility in being partners locally, together, but also translocally in the gospel partnership. Is that in your heart, friend? It's got to be, even in shutdown, lockdown. That's what God's called us to. That's why we're stronger together. That's true, genuine partnership. And that's why Paul's thanking the Philippi Church for their involvement in those things. Number five, quickly, what does partnership require? Resources without reservation. And I guess this is probably where most North American 
Ministries Talk Partnership. Partner with us. So into my ministry. Give me your money. That's not what we're talking about here. For genuine partnership to work, it means we're all in this together. It means we take what we've got and we all bring what we've got for the king and for his kingdom. Not for a team, not for NCMI, but for the gospel. We are stronger together. Whatever you have is not enough. Whatever I have is not enough. Whatever we have together is not enough. But as we bring what we have together, we're far more effective and God blows wind into it and God multiplies it. And so... It does require resources, people, finances, uh, giftings, anointings, facilities, buildings. Friends, whatever we need, whatever you need, let's do it together. That's the joy of partnership. It's not just anyone for anything. It's we're on the same page doing a similar thing, and we all have something to bring. Can you imagine how effective we could be if we did that in Canada more effectively? And, and as guys are linking in and new churches are being birthed and planted right across Canada, which is happening right now, let's buy in together. Let's own it. If you never get recognition, who cares? It's for the king and for the kingdom. And we're in this together. We want to make it count. So all in. What is mine is yours and what is yours is mine. Working together. Our time, our treasures, our trophies, our talents. And yes, money too. It does include money. And I, I'm still convinced the way to spell commitment is M-O-N-E-Y. If you genuinely want to know if people are committed, they've put their money where their mouth is. Then you know commitment. So we are all in with our resources. Are you willing? Are you able? Let's bring what we've got, our influence, together. I want to just tell you, looking into the camera, what is ours is yours. You have access to whatever's mine. I don't have nothing I'm holding back. Come and enjoy it with me. Come and use it for the glory of God. But let that be the same on your side and for the churches and the partners that we have all across the world. Lastly, and this is the highlight of it all, Partnership involves the reward together. You know, friends, I know that rewards are not something we should be focused on, but there is a reward to genuine partnership, real partnership, actively, koinonia, working in our fellowship, getting on with the task, mandate. We get to share in the blessing together. There is a blessing God gives us. There's a favor God puts on us, and it's, it's for the kingdom and for his glory and for the gospel. But there is a reward. My breakthrough is your breakthrough. Your breakthrough is my breakthrough. Uh, your planting is our inheritance growing. Your people being restored. Whatever we're involved in, there's this great reward that we get to walk in together here on earth, but more importantly, when we get to heaven together. So share in your reward. Share in the blessing with us. There is a reward for everyone who's involved in this. And utilize that and walk in that reward. I want to encourage you to enjoy the benefits of partnership. Don't just look at the price. Look at the privilege and enjoy it. I think Paul understood that. That's why he wrote to these guys with joy in prison because of the French of the partnership. They're owning it with him, his suffering, his troubles, and his finances. Just he didn't feel alone. There's a reward, and everyone gets to benefit around that. So our response to partnership. You know, partnership won't work with just a jawbone. I'm going to be a little tongue-in-cheek here. A jawbone, people who merely want to talk about getting it done. It won't work with a wishbone, people who merely wish someone would do it. It won't work with a funny bone, people who never get serious about getting it done. Partnership must have a backbone, and that requires people who work together to get the job done. Let me land with this, and I've used this illustration many times, but it's the best I've got when it comes to understanding partnership. And when Nicola and I got married, Nicole, my wonderful wife, um, you know, before we got married, I, I really wanted some marriage counseling more for her than me. I thought she would need it more than me. How wrong was I? But 
we went and met with a key couple, an older couple who's married for many years. And to be honest, they have an incredible marriage that I wouldn't mind modeling my marriage after. I don't want to be like them, but they've got a lot to teach. And so I asked if they would sit down with Nicole and I before we get married and and basically just give us some more her, but us some how-tos and some things just that would be helpful for our marriage. And so we sat down, him and his wife and Nicole and I, and uh, very quickly the man just turned and it was at a lunch table in a restaurant and he just said, oh, I want to say some things here. And he looked at me and said, Tyron, you get him married because you're selfish. He looked at Nicole and said, Nicole, you get him married because you're selfish. And based on that reason of why you're getting married, the marriage cannot work. And I was flabbergasted. I was shocked. I thought, what, what kind of counsel is this? But what he said is, Tyron, you're going into this marriage for what you can get from Nicole. And Nicole, you're going into this marriage for what you can get from Tyron. And based on that, it's selfish. No marriage can work if you're going in for what you can get. He said the only way for this marriage, this partnership to work is, Tyron, you've got to go into this partnership, this marriage, saying, what can I give? And Nicole, you've got to go into this marriage, this partnership, saying, what can I give? And when we live at a place of what can we give rather than what can we get, my friends, this marriage works well. This is an effective marriage, and we're both blessed in it. And, and I, can't, I can say, honestly, as we've done that, it's been magnificent. When, magnificent. when we haven't done that, it's been very difficult. And, and I want to suggest it's the same when it comes to gospel partnership or even partnership with God. God's all in. I don't believe God's in heaven wondering what He can get from us. He's God doesn't need anything. But He's all in by giving us everything we need. And He wants us all in to bring what can we give rather God than what have you got to hook me up with today. And so I think it's an attitude of the first leg of that, of that uh, stool. Are, are you all in and are you coming into God saying, what can I give, not just what's in it for me, God? Secondly, in your local church partnership, we great to ask those questions. Rather than what's in it for me if I'm in this church, what are the elders, what are the leaders, what are the people, what's everyone doing for me? How about what can I bring? And if we all in that meeting, all in that church, all in this, that, that group come with that heart, can you imagine the effect your church can have, not just in your region, but in the nations of the world? What can I give Rather than what can I get? And how about this with our gospel partnership? Rather than, hey, what do I get out of this partnership? What can I get if we partner? Rather come in saying, I'm all in. What can I give? And if I did that with you, you did that with me, we did that with each other, with all the churches, the team. Friends, can you imagine what God can get done in and through us? It wouldn't be just, please do it, Lord. God will be doing it in and through us. And so I, I'm naive enough to believe we can get to that place. But it's going to require of us to do some real, uh, uh, maybe, business with God in our hearts. And also coming back to true understanding. And listen, I realize it's a bigger subject than what I've just covered. But at least it's a start. And my challenge to you is get scripture, get back to Philippians, read through the book of Acts, look at these truths again. But we are stronger together, friends. And I don't say that cliche, it's almost become a cliche statement. But it's fact, it's true. And over this shutdown lockdown, I've realized more and more the need for partnership, the need for authentic partnership. I trust you have too. So let's be it. Let's live it. Let's set ourselves up. Let's, let's get it all in. And let's go and make some commitments to the leaders in your church. Leaders, make some commitments to your people. Let's get all in with Him, with each other, and with this gospel partnership. There's a world waiting for the gospel. 
even in shutdown and lockout and as things begin to open let's work in partnership let's be involved at every level i trust that blesses you as it has blessed me thank you for your partnership thank you for what you're doing we're praying for you look forward to seeing you as soon as your borders open we're going to come and do some stuff with you but don't wait for them get on with it god bless you friends thanks for your time take care